Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Shante Harris to the show. Shante Harris currently leads the investor network and corporate partnerships for Venture for Climate Tech, a climate tech venture studio and accelerator sourcing the best climate tech solutions across the globe. She also oversees the For Climate Tech Global Innovation Challenge and is spearheading the exploration of a thesis for a new financial mechanism funding early-stage climate tech alongside the 2M Capital team. Additionally, she is the co-founder of Women of Color Collective in Sustainability, a digital community for women of color to build their careers, create professional success, and advance their well-being. Named by America on Tech as an innovator and disruptor in tech policy and Women E-News as a pioneering woman in sustainability, Shante is passionate about urban innovation, building sustainable cities, cross-sector collaboration, and tapping into community to launch better solutions, initiatives, and technologies. She has worked to scale nationwide campaigns, technologies, and ideas for the Obama administration, Fortune 500 companies, and startups. Shante, how are you doing today? I'm well, Raj. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Such a pleasure to be here. And yeah, my week's getting off to a great start. So I'm excited to dive into this discussion today. Shante, I'm excited too. And I was going to ask where are you currently located, but I would love if you could just give the audience a brief backstory of where you've been for the past five months and where you are right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, I found myself unexpectedly in um, Puerto Rico, um, but majority of the past few months for me have been spent in Mexico, um, mostly by accident. Um, If anyone who's listening or tuning in to this um, episode lives in New York City, I think you can resonate with the fact that finding a place to live can be really challenging. Um, And during COVID, I... um, I needed to move out of my place pretty quickly and um, found myself looking at potential apartments and then thinking about how cold it was outside and having to travel and visit places and uh, had a great conversation with a friend who um, had been to Mexico City and you know just essentially said, why don't you just come to Mexico City? It'll be warm. <laughs> um, you can stay in a place that's going to be fairly affordable. Um, and yeah, I just, I ended up there and spent almost three months um, in Mexico and really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was nice to, you know, still be quarantining and safe, but also be in a, a new place and have some time for exploration. So how was life as a digital nomad? <laughs> it was 
great. I mean, I, I think what's interesting is before COVID, I had thought about how much more I wanted to travel. I love New York, but um, I also am just an explorer at heart. And so, and I, and I really love diving into uh, culture and new communities. And so um, I feel like in some ways, the fact that I still ended up somewhere else during COVID is just uh, reiterated that for me. And, and, and I think made it clear that I clearly want to be in different places exploring, you know, people, food, uh, culture, and, and communities. Um, the last thing I'll say, just because I think it's, um, uh, I think it's, it, it really demonstrates uh, my interests. I was so obsessed with Mexico City's built environment and infrastructure. And it just made me think about, you know, how can we build cities in the future uh, that really prioritize people and how they get around and not just, you know, cars um, and big buildings. So um, that's something that I feel like I'm walking away from. I think Mexico City, because it, you know, is a newer city and a lot of, um, and, when, and when you put it into perspective, right. And I think that it was just so lovely to walk around with all of the gardens and the big windows and everyone has a terrace garden and, you know, it's like, we need, we need green, <laughs> we need green things in cities uh, is essentially what I'm coming away with. I agree. Sounds like a beautiful experience. So I'd like to start the show by asking my guests the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Sure. Yeah. Well, I always tell people this is either the first thing I tell you or I like can know you for two years and never mention it. <laughs> so I... Um, uh, family is really important to me and my sisters are really important to me. They're all my best friends. And I say that because I am actually a twin. So I have a twin sister. Um, her and I do not have the same interest at all. She's currently in medical school. Um, but I, I, um, yeah, I've always felt like I, I have this best friend uh, who's going through life with me. And then I have two older sisters who are also twins. So my parents had two sets of twins um, it's not very common <laughs> as I'm sure you, you would imagine. Um, I think twins are a lot more common these days, but certainly not two sets of identical twins. So, um, that's a fun fact about me that, um, I like to share because I think it's, it's meant that I've really never had anything to myself <laughs> and I've had to share everything in life. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun having, um, three sisters who kind of all look like you and, I think I, I, for a long time, just became used to people calling me another name or calling me twin. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's a, a fun story I like to share. That is fun. So, Shante, can you give the audience an overview of your current organization, Second Muse, and your role at the organization? Sure. Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I currently work for a company called Second Muse. Um, we are a global innovation and impact firm focused on building economies of the future that are more regenerative, resilient, and um, inclusive. And so that looks like launching innovation programming across the globe. We define innovation programming as incubators, accelerators, uh, venture studios, and challenges. Uh, some examples of our work include the Space Apps Challenge, which we've been running for, I believe, around 10 years for NASA. Uh, we recently um, launched and ran the Food Vision Prize through Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, we have a couple of various incubators and accelerators throughout the country and the globe um, where we really support um, entrepreneurs and new technologies in scaling. And uh, one other 
really exciting example that I know I've already spoke to you about, Raj, is uh, Melinda Gates' Pivotal Ventures Get Cities Initiative, which is really focused on supporting women um, and entering technology, but also being able to thrive in leadership throughout uh, the technology sector. So those are some examples of our work. Uh, we have a capital arm that is fairly new in comparison to all the work that we were doing before and are still doing around innovation programming, but our capital arm essentially designs, uh, manages, fundraises, and operates uh, various funds, funding vehicles throughout the globe. Uh, an example of that is Circulate Capitals, a $100 million fund focused on removing plastic from the ocean. So solutions, technologies, and projects that do that. And we support that effort and, and cooperate that fund through uh, the incubation network. So yeah, that's, that's an overview of the work. My role is particularly helping to spearhead our climate tech initiatives, um, starting with New York and sort of the Northeast region. We're doing some restructuring now. And so that'll look like actually tying all of our climate tech work across the globe. Um, we have some not only in New York, but also in Canada and as well as Singapore. Um, so really excited about that. I sit in between our capital team and our uh, Venture for Climate Tech program, which is a climate tech venture studio and, and accelerator hybrid model that is sourcing and scaling the most promising climate tech innovators across the globe. Um, it's a six and a half month uh, part-time program for founders and innovators, um, supporting them going from essentially proof of concept and idea stage to prototype. And we really focus on building strong teams, ensuring that they really understand their business model, their product market fit, what it means to scale. Uh, we, we believe in creating great leaders as well. So we are also incorporating things like social equity into our curriculum. What does it mean to be a great leader? To think about diversity, equity, inclusion, not only internally, but externally as you build your product and scale it. Um, and we offer up to 125K and non-dilutive funding um, through our funder, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research Development Agency. So that's an overview of, of the program. And my role specifically is actually spearheading our investor network and partnerships. And so um, I'm really thinking about the larger climate tech ecosystem, uh, thinking about how we can bring together various stakeholders and ensure that you know our founders are, of course, getting supported, but that we are supporting other founders across the globe. We had over 600 unique applications this year for our program, for an inaugural program. As you can imagine, that was a really big number. And so uh, we want to ensure that our 11 companies get supported, but that also all of those companies that didn't make it into our program are, are, are able to receive the resources and the support they need to scale because climate is a big problem, right? And we need everyone. Um, so that's an overview of, of the work that I'm doing and, and spearheading as well as, um, yeah, the work that Second Use does. I've never heard the term venture studio. Can you share what that is? Sure. Yeah. Venture studio, I, I want to say it's a newer model. It, it sort of builds off of what a traditional venture capital firm has been. Uh, essentially, the idea is that you actually, a team essentially does a lot of market research into an opportunity um, builds out the uh, growth strategy for that company, funds it, and helps launch it. You know, it helps at the very early stage of, of getting it set up. And that um, oftentimes looks like bringing on the right leadership. So a C-suite, 
a CEO, a CTO, a CFO, whatever it is that is really, or whatever uh, personnel are really needed to scale the venture. Um, and so it starts, the, the actual venture starts with a certain amount of funding that comes from a fund associated with the venture studio. Um, and then it also oftentimes means that that core team that's doing the market research and helping kick off the company kind of takes a backseat uh, once everything is established and the leadership they bring on board, which you'll see oftentimes if you look at venture studios, they're typically hiring for an entrepreneur in residence, uh, maybe someone who sold a company or, or who has had success in the technology space to actually come in-house and then take over a company uh, once they formed and funded it. So um, it's really interesting. I think what what it really demonstrates is this, this shift in venture capital that we're seeing around um, founders desiring, but also needing not only, you know, traditional investor that kind of invests and walks away and maybe supports here or there, but investors that are actually more hands-on have a bit more, I think just overall dedication to the company and, and want to see, um, returns, stronger returns across the, the capital that they're dispersing to various companies. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I would define a venture studio and, um, I think it's still a newer model, but also a model that is just popping up everywhere these days. Sounds very interesting. Earlier, you mentioned, you know, the Climate Tech Initiative. Are there any technologies you've seen recently come through the program that you've been very interested in? Yeah, I mean, we have an incredible group of companies. Um, definitely encourage everyone to uh, check out the companies that we recently announced, which you can do through our innovators page on forclimatetech.org. Um, but yeah, you know, really excited about, again, all of our companies. I think a few that I that really stand out to me include Clean Ocean Coatings. Uh, they're a German company. Since we support global companies, this was actually a really big defining characteristic of our program was being able to take what has been historically more of a New York solely focused program and make it global. Um, so Clean Ocean Coatings uh, really focuses on the anti-fouling solutions. So toxin-free coating for for ships, which, you know, at a, at a high level, it makes me think about the importance of what many would describe as low-tech solutions. Um, so while, of course, they're doing a bunch of R&D and research and have been in a lab, um, ultimately what they're building is a new and better product, right, that has existed in the past. Um, and the coatings that they provide actually allow for two years more of durable or are two years more durable, excuse me, than conventional coatings. Um, they're a lot easier to clean and also have a uniquely smooth surface. Um, so that's one example. I think another example of a, a great company um, that we have in our, our portfolio includes Alchemer. Um, Laureen, the, the founder, is absolutely incredible. Um, and they are essentially, you know, building a solution in the green hydrogen space that allows for the reduction of the cost of water, of water electrolyzers by more than 300%. So, yeah, really excited about that solution, particularly as hydrogen continues to, I think, raise in its profile um, as a, an energy source that most people in this space are recognizing, right, really needs to be prioritized, but also has a lot of promising um, outcomes for climate 
Uh, so those are a couple. There are a few others just because of my city's background or, or really thinking about future of cities and, and my previous roles. Uh, Volt Post, which is essentially turning lamp posts into electric vehicle charging stations. Um, so a lot around right the built environment and infrastructure. How can we actually use existing infrastructure in cities to make you know them more sustainable, but also create uh, alternative mobility options for residents. Sounds like fascinating companies. And yes, I will share the link in the um, show notes just for my own curiosity too. I think it's a the toxin free one really caught my curiosity because again, like you mentioned, there are these um, unsexy industries, if you will. And there's so much change that's required or so much opportunity there. You know, in the digital world, you almost think about taking companies from analog to digital, and there's a lot of analog companies still out there. But the the toxin-free coating for ships definitely piqued my interest. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, it was we, so they actually applied to our global challenge that we ran as part of our recruitment process. And, you know, we wouldn't have otherwise probably seen their application um, because they didn't apply to the actual program, just the challenge. And all of our judges that were involved across multiple industries and, and sectors were really excited by this solution. I think the the ability to actually see and be able to measure in the short term its impact just from application alone is, is something that really excited not only my team, but then all of the uh, amazing and, and incredible individuals involved in the process. So it sounds like you have your hands full with your day job. But I'm going to switch gears here and talk about another project you're working on, which is the Women of Color Collective in Sustainability. Can you talk to us about that organization? Yeah. Um, thanks, Raj. Yeah, I appreciate you highlighting that. I, and my team jokes that I'll forget to mention this, <laughs> even though it is near, near and dear to my heart. Um, and honestly, a passion project that has just really taken off, um, which is both exciting and, and shows the need for um, intentional discussion and action around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the uh, sustainability space. So uh, WOCSIS, that's what we call it for short, uh, was born out of really, I think, solving my my own problem in this space. And that was just recognizing earlier on when I was um, prior to the work that I do now was scaling uh, various companies across urban and climate tech, solving big problems for cities. And um, that meant building out go-to-market strategies and, and social impact strategies and thinking through things like pilot projects and demos and strategic partnerships. And I just found that I was oftentimes the only woman, um, the only woman of color, the only Black woman, and and many times as well, the, the youngest person in the room. And I, I, um, I saw the opportunity in that, but I also saw um, or was able to take a step back and, and really analyze what that meant for the future of an industry um, where we're solving big problems, right? And I mentioned this earlier, but we truly do need all hands on deck for um, in order for us to solve the climate crisis, particularly when we think about who it disproportionately impacts, which includes communities of color, um, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And um, I started Wokesis alongside one of my close friends and now co-creators, Jordi Vasquez. She was at Bright Power at the time. I was at my, my previous company. And we were attending an event at Climate Week, New York. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Climate Week, it's a really big week in New York City where global leaders um, essentially come to convene in person and talk about key areas throughout 
climate, um, a lot of industry folks, but then also discussions around policy and impact. So we went to, or I decided to go to an, an evening event that was an all women's event. And it was an incredible event. And I really appreciated the space made for women, though uh, the reality was that the room still didn't reflect um, diversity. And so uh, myself and Jordy were actually um, the only uh, woman of color in the room that evening. And um, we said hi to each other, started chatting. She became a, a good confidant of mine. And we started sharing resources. And my, my old firm would host a lot of private dinners. And I would invite her to all of them, invite her to all of the events we held. And she did the same with me. She had a really neat newsletter called Urban Onsite at the time. Um, and she's really sort of a creative um, into the arts, into kind of public placemaking and what that means for sustainability in cities. And we met up one day and we're sort of like, hey, this is great that we're doing this for each other. Um, but the reality is that we know there are more women of color out there. We know that there are more women of color that want to be um, and more involved or maybe even transition into this space. And we couldn't find a community anywhere online um, that was focused on women of color in particular. And so her and I spoke about it for a little bit and we were just hanging out one day and we're like, hey, we're going to create this space for um, other women who look like us, who are seeking community, who are seeking peer mentorship and resource sharing. And so that's really how Wokesus was born. I think it was a Friday. Um, we were in South Street Seaport and we were like, let's just do this thing. Let's let's create it. And so um, I am still blown away, to be honest, with the amount of traction, support, but also enthusiasm from other women of color, um, even other corporations and organizations to support our mission. And so Wokesus today uh, really is a collective. It's one of the very few, I think at the time we launched it, it might have been the only really dedicated to Black, Indigenous, and women of color in the sustainability field, um, supporting them through creating access to opportunities, um, jobs, speaking opportunities, and then creating community amongst ourselves, which I think is really important. Uh, so the resource sharing, the peer mentorship. Prior to COVID, we had done only a few meetups um, and then also were working on a campaign um, called This Is What Sustainability Looks Like, which is kind of our tagline. Our goal there is to essentially shift and normalize that sustainability is diverse, um, that it is inherently made up of diverse voices and, and women of color. And so uh, we were doing all those great things and then COVID hit. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in-person meetups died down. But really what happened was that we saw immense growth over COVID. And I think one thing that, you know, COVID has made evident is how important community is, especially in difficult times. And so our Google group, our LinkedIn group, which is dedicated to women of color, our, our monthly newsletter actually grew by 5,000% over the course of five months. Uh, we held our first summit and planned it all in about two and a half weeks back in July of 2020. Um, honestly, Jordy and I thought we'd have maybe tops 40 people attend virtually. Uh, we ended up having over 400 global participants, um, over 40 speakers, all Black, Indigenous, people of color speaking on various parts of sustainability. And we had over 20 partners and sponsors. So it happened quickly. We were just so grateful for the space. But I think more importantly, we it was very evident that what we were creating was needed. 
across this industry and still is. And so um, we are dedicated to women who are building careers in this space and ensuring that they're amplified, supported, and have the resources they need to thrive. And so that's that's the story behind Woxus and why we formed um, and, and what we do. Uh, we recently launched a job board for corporations and organizations to list their jobs um, or on our site. We require transparency in the pay. So we do, if, if you decide to post on our website, we do require that you provide a range. And that's because we, you know, we want to be a part of solving the problem around things like um, pay inequity in this space. Um, and we felt that it was our duty to make sure that whatever opportunities and jobs and resources we're providing women of color have a level of transparency that we want to see be the standard across the industry. So um, yeah, that's a little bit or a lot about Wokesis and the story behind it and sort of what we're doing and building. I want to tease out a phrase you said there. You said this is what sustainability looks like. And I think sustainability climate looks very different on the ground, especially from the people that's affecting, to leadership in yeah. sustainability and climate. How are some of the ways, you mentioned mentoring, et cetera, but you know, how do we grow the size of this table? size of the tent and get more people of color, women also involved in this movement? Yeah, you know, I I think we started with community because I think, you know, if you look historically at how any underrepresented community has been able to obtain upward mobility, particularly upward economic mobility, it's really been from strategic planning within that community. Um, and sort of pushing the norms. But I think also when it comes to industry, and I'm certainly still wrapping my head around all of this, and I think Wokesis is as well in terms of how we plan to continue to push the, the needle on these matters. But, you know, really a, a large part of it, in my opinion, is there are certain t- pieces of knowledge um, and kind of industry, I want to say secrets for lack of a better phrase, but that are really imperative to people's ability to move within an organization and a company, but also I think to be seen as a leader in any industry. Um, And so a lot of what we're doing is amplifying the expertise that we have because um, what I found as a woman of color is that if I don't create a narrative around my abilities, my expertise, what I bring to you know a team, a an initiative, or a company, then that leaves space for other people to create that narrative or for there to be no narrative at all. And I think we see this not only in, in sustainability. You know, I was mentioning technology to you earlier. Since I sent at I sit at the center of you know, climate, sustainability, and technology, um, the reality is, is that we oftentimes go unseen and unheard. Um, and I think it's it's really about us being able to maneuver and better understand ways that we can have access within this industry. But ultimately, it does come down, in my opinion, to the organizations and the corporations. And so, again, we're, I think, only one piece of the puzzle, but I will say that Jordy and I have been talking a lot about what it is that we want to continue to pursue through OXIS. And we are a community for women of color first, because we think that is absolutely critical to just 
honestly having the support you need to, especially these days, right, in light of COVID-19, we've just gotten so many kind messages from women who are like, I got a new job. I got a, a new resource, a new leadership opportunity because of your Google group, because of your newsletter. And I think, you know, for, for us, that's a win because it, sh- it shows that through the creation of a community committed to each other, we can open doors for one another. On the flip side, ultimately, you know, I think corporations and companies and organizations have to really commit to what it means to allow people, women of color to be in an organization and a company and thrive and actually, you know, rise up the ranks to your point around leadership. Like we know when we started Wilkes, the numbers were absolutely dismal. They still are, to be frank. But the reality to me is that our job board is the first step in that. We're actually working on the summit, trying to connect women of color to corporations and organizations. And I think making it clear that it needs to be a reciprocal relationship. Like, yes, women of color need jobs. We want leadership opportunities, but we also want to be in spaces and workplaces that are healthy, um, that are safe, that are really invested in who we are and allow us to show up as the leaders we are. And so I think there is this this balance of saying we want more women of color in leadership. I think the the question that I think a lot about and that we pose to corporations and organizations and companies that reach out to us is, are you creating a, a culture and an environment where, you know, if we did match you with a great woman of color for an initiative, that they'd feel that they'd have the resources and what they and just overall what they need to actually thrive as a leader. And so, yeah, I'll I'll stop there. I, I won't pretend to have all the answers, but I do think there's on one end such a critical aspect to creating community for women of color to learn from each other and feel like they have a space for them. But two, it you know, it does come down to can companies and and how can companies really commit to hiring and elevating women of color um, and providing them with the the resources, right, that they need in the workplace. So, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind for me. So it's not easy, but easier to enroll people that are perhaps knowledgeable about climate or sustainability into you know our tribe. But how do you convey the message to those that perhaps don't realize some of the effects around of climate? or sustainability on their everyday lives and say, look, these are other opportunities that perhaps you should be exploring or considering? Yeah, I think um, it makes me actually think about conversations I've had with my family. So I'm like, you know, the the climate person in my family, (laughs) the sustainability person. I think if you ask my parents what I do, they probably can't tell you, to be honest. (laughs) But I think um, the reason why I mentioned that is because for me, it's been about meeting people where they are not all not expecting them to already be at a level that you're at. And that's really important because I think when you look at industry language and conversation, um, I do think that there's something to be said about, right? Like just just the language and the words we use. Like language can remove people from a conversation. And I think when it comes to sustainability and climate, like all of us who are professionals in this space, who are doing this work, have a duty to ourselves, to people and to the planet to make this work accessible because people want to be a part of it. People want to do better, but they may not know how if, you know, we we show up and immediately start talking about carbon modeling, right? And 
um, all of these phrases that feel like common knowledge to us, but aren't to the the everyday person, especially to those who are oftentimes experiencing it firsthand. Um, And so, yeah, I do think that that's one of the biggest ways that we can continue to knock down uh, the barriers uh, to people really feeling uh, a part of the solution um, or feeling like they can actually engage in a meaningful way. Um, And then going back to what I just said, meeting them where they are. Um, So I think a good example of this is the public health conversation. One of my first deep dives into environment was actually working with the Department of Health and mental hygiene on a public health initiative. And, you know, uh, we were essentially doing a deep dive into what KPIs can we use to understand healthy, how to create a healthier East Harlem. And a lot of it came down to, um, you know, food quality and access to food. So the the realization that food deserts um, and lack of kind of, uh, what is it, farm to table options um, prevent people from being healthier. Um, recognizing that a large number of bus depots and highways are over-concentrated in communities of color, um, and thus you see higher rates of asthma and other health effects. And so I think ultimately we have to talk about climate and sustainability holistically and all of the other issues that tie into it, because a lot of times maybe someone won't understand fully sustainability or climate, but they will understand that, you know, their child has asthma because of the air quality in their neighborhood. Um, They will understand that, you know, they don't have access to local food because there aren't adequate supply chains to provide that. And so I think really it's up to us to not sit in our like climate bubbles, right. (laughs) And talk about all of the science and all of the technologies, which are great, but ultimately, these technologies have to be deployed. They have to be adopted. And, and that adoption, that deployment has to be done by everyday people. And so the way that we the way that we build and ultimately deploy these technologies have to be accessible if we're going to have the type of impact we want. Um, and I think there are really some really some great case studies as of the past year or two where you're seeing that with technology. You're seeing the value of making it accessible kind of creating bite-sized ways for people to understand from their perspective, like why this solution matters or how they can engage with it. I love the idea of meeting people where they're at and so much what you said specifically around the vocabulary and the language language that's used, I think it can be very intimidating. And so the idea of perhaps introducing people, as you said, bite-sized moments in their life or how it how some of these issues intersect in their lives. You mentioned the bus station example, I think are very important, especially from a you know, from a time perspective, meaning that people are already extremely overwhelmed with everyday life. And then we have this mm-hmm. additional issue of COVID currently going on and we have health issues. So finding those bite-sized opportunities to introduce them to this subject, I think is a great way to do it. Yeah. So a hundred percent. And I know that there are people who've been doing this way way longer than I have. And um, I appreciate, you know, other women in this space who've really paved the way for me. So I just just want to mention that briefly because, you know, I think Peggy from We Act and Majora Carter, like they, they are two women that I, I look up to and have really been a part of, I think, thinking through what it means to advance, you know, big solutions, but do it through a place-based and kind of a local perspective. So. Um, yeah, ultimately, all of these really big visions we have have to be broken down into actual ways to right, deploy them and, and build them. Absolutely. You said something earlier, which is leading to my next question. And I, 
I really like the way you said it about creating a narrative for ourselves rather than there being no narrative or waiting for someone else to create one for us. Next question is, you know, you've been on this journey, like you said, for a while as an African-American woman in tech, now clean tech. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself on your journey? Mm, that's such a good question. <laughs> so one thing that comes to mind is just this idea that our journeys are our own. And sometimes I do feel like there's this tension, particularly if you're a person of color, of you know, paving the way or being the first, which is is certainly admirable and I think super important. But I, I've honestly been, as of late, very weary of of being celebrated as the only or the first, because I, I don't think that that's something that we should be celebrating or normalizing, to be frank. And so I think that's one thing that I would say one big thing that I've learned in this journey that like, particularly as an African-American woman, I am not, honestly, I can't think of a better word at the moment, but I'm not impressed or interested in being the only or the first. I think it's not only on me, but all of the people who are acknowledging that I'm the first or I'm the only to be committed to making sure that that's not what we celebrate. You know, like in the next 10 years, I don't I don't want to have to celebrate an Asian American woman or a, you know, Caribbean woman being the first. I know that that's how we create movement in society. Someone has to do it first. But it makes me think about and I was talking to my friend recently when I realized like, hey, I really am oftentimes the only or the first, um, particularly in my various demographic groups. I wanted to change that. And I created Wokesis just for that. You know, I don't want to be the only young African-American woman that's invited to speak or to be at the table. I want people to know that there are so many other young women of color that are also doing great work in this space and committed deeply. Um, so I think that's that's one learning that I, I think is huge. I, I do feel like we have a duty to recognize that if we are the only or the first that we should be pulling other people in. And, you know, I'm, I am where I'm at now because of the, you know, the woman I named earlier and so many other countless women who I probably don't know the names of, but should. Right. And so I think um, for me, that's really important. And then the other thing I'll say is I was having a discussion recently around this as well, is that, you know, we, I think sometimes we tell young people to, kind of follow the paths of others. So I remember being younger and someone saying, you know, go to someone else's profile. Or there was like LinkedIn. I don't remember what we were using at that time. LinkedIn was was not as popular then, but kind of like go read their bio and then kind of try to replicate everything they've done to get where they're at. And I look back at that now and I honestly think it's some of the worst advice we can give people in their various journeys because I feel like what we do is we limit people by saying, look at someone else's journey and follow their journey. I think that uh, ultimately we have, we each have an ability to tap into what is our fullest potential. And, you know, while I think exploring things are healthy, right. And being able to, to know your options and figure out which one is best for you. Ultimately, we all have to choose our own paths. And I would really love it if we actually started talking about our journeys, our career paths as something for us to explore solely as an individual interested in figuring out what am I great at? What do I love to do? And where's that kind of nice intersection where I can do the great things that I'm good at, 
in a place where I am excited to do them versus, you know, go follow this other person and see if you might like it once you've, you know, sort of achieved all of the things that they've done. Um, so yeah, I think those are, those are two highlights. I'm sure there's lots more that I've learned, but I think, yeah, ultimately acknowledging that your path is your own and you can certainly learn things from other people, but that you don't have to follow exactly in their, their footsteps to do great things. Um, and that, you know, our duty, I feel, is to create more access for people um, and more opportunities and not just stop at being the first or the only. Reminds me of a blog post that I wrote a long time ago titled One Size Fits One. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. You just said everything I was trying to say in three words. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um so the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. You're obviously very driven. Um, you know, there are some obvious reasons, but what drives you, what motivates you, what keeps you going? Yeah, I think just honestly, I learned at a really young age and I mentioned how important family was to me, but I tell people I come from a family of public servants. My dad was a firefighter. He also DJed on the side. So a little spunky and creative, which was always fun. Uh, my mom was in the medical space and my grandmother was a nurse and a civil rights activist. Um, and to this day, she will still now in her 80s kind of march around the community and make sure people are registered to vote. Um, and I grew up hearing stories about how courageous she was at, a, at an age younger than what I am now. And I think it just really inspired me to uh, do the things that scare me, to be brave, to be courageous, um, to push the norm. Um, I think a lot about how we, we're normalized to stay within right boxes and the lines. And we're told, well, that's just kind of what everyone does. Or it's status quo of the norm. And I've never known that as my default because I've never, I didn't grow up in a space or in a home where, you know, <laughs> accepting kind of what the norm was, was just what people did. It was actually the exact opposite for me. Um, and my grandmother, I think, again, has played a huge role in me seeing that kind of drawing outside the lines, right, is 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 an exciting way and that to live life and also a way that works for me. So I think all of that to say that what really drives me is this idea that if I don't like a norm or if I think there's a better way to do something or if I want to see change that I have everything that I need to be a part of that solution. And then I think the second part to that is just valuing community. I, I recognize that the work that my grandmother did, she didn't do alone. The work that I do now, I don't do alone. I have an incredible team through Venture for Climate Tech and Second Muse. Wokesis, I feel like, is just very evident, right, of this value of community that we we can't we we can't go it alone in this lifetime. I mean, we can try, but I, I don't see that working out for most people. And so, yeah, for me, it's really like being a part of something bigger than yourself and not being scared to to really dive into the unique value and gifts that you bring to this world um, and, and bringing other people into community to also actualize that on their on their end. I love the idea of pushing norms and growing community. Also sounds like I should be interviewing your grandmother. Yes, you should. She's incredible. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Second Muse again in Wokesis, but you also mentioned a better way to do something. Can you tell me a little bit about the uh, future economy lab that you're working on? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, yeah, to this point, I think this is exactly what we are trying to do in the capital space at the moment. So I mentioned Second Muse's capital arm 
been around for a few years now, we have a blended capital model. And essentially the way that we think about funding mechanisms is let's really create what we are hearing is of need. Um, and if it hasn't ex existed before, let's create something new. Um, and so the Future Economy Lab essentially brings together corporations, governments, investors, and foundations to explore specific economy. Um, I'm focused on climate tech, as I mentioned, so we'll be diving into the climate space. Um, and we're actually seeking participants at this time. So having a bunch of conversations with um, various uh, venture groups, as well as government entities, um, academic institutions, uh, really anyone or any entity that is either in this space, interested in, in entering more into this space and being a part of exploring, you know, what is an economy, a climate economy um, in need of, particularly in the New York and Northeast region? And then how can we create something that solves for whatever that need is? And so whatever, at the end of the, the actual process, we'll be pulling together a report. We've done this before. And then actually creating a or having a recommendation for what that funding mechanism should be. And then we go out and, and build it. Uh, we bring a team on or add to a team if, if we have an existing team and then um, actually fundraise around this. So yeah, I'm, I'm currently seeking people who would be interested in learning more, potentially participating. It's a low lift commitment. You show up to a couple of workshops and design sessions. They'll all be virtual in light of COVID. Um, but it's a really, really exciting process. We share all of the data and insights at the end with those who participate. Um, and then we go out and, and build something great that's going to solve a big problem. So um, again, I, I feel like it, it, it is reiterating, right, this idea of community and um, sort of bringing people together to solve big problems. So I'm excited, would love to talk to anyone who might be interested. Uh, we're, we are looking for funders for this work and we've worked with previous entities like the Gates Foundation and others uh, to help fund this work. So really, really excited. And yeah, I'll be focusing on that over the next few months. So let's stay on the topic of the future for a moment. And since you're doing so much, I want to focus directly on you. Let's imagine it's 2030, you're looking back almost like a legacy view where do you see yourself or what kinds of um, progress or effect do you see yourself making in this movement over the next 10 years? Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, I immediately go to my cohort companies and honestly just projects and ideas that are bringing together the right stakeholders. But, you know, hopefully in 10 years, we will have some great use cases for the companies in our portfolio through Venture for Climate Tech. Um, so really hoping that we support these founders um, and that they're able to scale great solutions and that we are seeing a huge impact when it comes to GHG emissions across not only New York State, but other areas as well where they can apply their technology. I think also, you know, larger or on a higher level, I'd really love to be working across cities and exploring what does it look like to share data, insights, um, and how we build and deploy technologies and how we think about not only their go-to-market strategy, but embedding, again, this idea of equity and community and impact into, into building those solutions. Um, and hoping that as well, Wokesys is this global, <laughs> um, it is a global collective, but that it expands to reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women of color across the globe. We've gotten some inquiry from people in Africa and the Caribbean recently. So just really excited about what that can be. But um, ultimately, I, I really want to see the best solutions, ideas, projects 
being funded and deployed. And so I think being a part of making sure that there's the right community funding and resources for all of that um, and kind of being at the center of it would really be um, ideal for me. So, you know, a lot of that I think I'm doing, but being able to do it on a massive scale. So having a capital arm, maybe even a research and sort of data and insights institute um, and really embedding equity. um, So that means women of color, right, BIPOC communities across all of it. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's what I think about in 10 years. And who knows, that might change, but those are the things that come to mind. Which sounds like a beautiful vision. Going to my last question here, again, I think the standout comment from this uh, conversation has been the idea of narrative. But if you could specifically share some words of advice, and it could be personal, it could be professional, words of advice or wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Yeah, I, it makes me think of a, a a quote. I know it's a probably widely shared quote, but it was said to me by someone I just truly adore and respect. And what was said to me was, you know, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of, you know, don't let other people's, like sometimes other people's ceilings are your floor and that's okay. And I think that's for me been really important because sometimes I, or not even sometimes, a lot of times I feel that as a young African-American woman, I've found myself in places and rooms that are doing really big things where I, where I have decision-making power and I'm able to move the needle on such important conversations and topics and recognizing that I'm both grateful and excited and that me wanting to dream bigger or do bigger things are okay as well. So that, you know, there's, there's a duality of being able to say, I'm grateful for what I have now and the opportunities that have been presented for me. And I have this desire to have an even bigger impact um, or do bigger things because I see you know, bigger solutions and opportunities. And that's been really important to me because um, one quote that I believe it was my grandmother, if I'm not mistaken, introduced to me at an early age, it was just, you know, don't dim your light for other people. You know, don't make yourself small um, for other people that if you if you ever start feeling small where you're at, um, that it just means that it's time for you to find a place that's bigger for you. But, you know, not not feeling like you have to be smaller for the sake of making others comfortable. And so uh, that would be, yeah, that, that would be advice I, I'd give people. You know, I've, I've ended up in amazing places and opportunities. And I've, I think, you know, staying humble is really important, but also recognizing your gifts and leaning into them and, you know, wanting more when you feel like you've maybe outgrown your current situation is, is fine. It's okay. And I think it's also, it means that we're doing something right. So, yeah. I love the idea of, not to dim your light for other people. I think it's a great place to end. I'm so excited about the work you're doing and I'm also excited to explore opportunities to collaborate with you in the future. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Raj. I really appreciated all of your questions. Um, Yeah, and just how incredibly committed you are to all of the work that you're doing. I know you're also juggling a lot. Um, So just really happy that I was able to be a guest on this episode and I'm looking forward to finding meaningful ways to collaborate in the future as well. Thank you, Shante, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Same here. Thanks, Raj. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, 
nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.